0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 147 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donotic. Hope you all had a wonderful week as we push towards Halloween and the month of November. Now if you're a fan of some NFC contenders, I'm sure it was a bit of a rough one for you. But uh, we'll get into that in just a second. Wanted to preface this episode with something that might be a little obvious, depending on how many episodes you've listened to. But if not, looking for some fan feedback here. So we've got a different, and by we I mean I, have a different audio setup for this episode. If it sounds better, if it sounds worse, if it sounds hollow, let me know, we're working on it. Um, Get back to me if where you're reading this has a comment section, or on social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Now, I'm hoping... Look, we've had situations like this before. The typical, you know, microphone I use has been on the fritz for a while. Finally made a purchase. Not necessarily in love with the one we're using, but we're trying to work through it and see how we can get it to be the best for y'all out there. So, let me know what you guys think. I'm still trying to figure out what I think of it, but that doesn't matter. We're going to get right in to this episode with my Standout 7. That's what you're here for. That's what I'm here for. So... Number one, as we are inclined to do, bigger story, the Buccaneers' losses with an ES in the last four to five days here, or the Green Bay Packers' loss to the Washington Commanders. Now, if I was making this decision mid-Sunday, right, prior to the Baltimore game, I would immediately be saying Tampa Bay, because the Buccaneers went into Carolina against a backup quarterback, against a team that just traded their best offensive weapon away and found a way to give up three touchdowns, which is nothing crazy if we're being honest, found a way to put up three singular points. You know, I mean, they ran for less than 50 yards. Brady goes 32 of 49 for 290, which is not close to bad stats, of course, but the tone was really set by the Mike Evans drop deep ball very early in this game. Because I'm of the opinion, and I'm not the only one, I'm far from it, um, in several sports, if a team is bad or if a team is going through a rough patch, if you are their opponent and you can jump on them early, you really have a chance to bring out that quit, so to speak. I've heard about it, you know, well, we've all heard about it in terms of failing football teams, baseball teams, basketball, uh, fighters even. If they start to fall behind, some teams will just default to, you know, turtle up. Let's try and get through this the best we can. Our season's over. We're not going anywhere. Well, if you're the Carolina Panthers playing for Steve Wilkes, that is clearly not what was going on. Mike Evans drops the touchdown. Carolina winds up going scoreless in the first quarter along with Tampa. It's 7-0 at half, paging the Tampa offense. 14-0 at the end of the third, paging the Tampa offense. This game ends 21-3, and it is not not a good one for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, let's get into the Buccaneers' loss to the Baltimore Ravens, which the scoreboard would tell you was more competitive, and I tend to agree. This game is 10-3 bucks at half, right? Lamar Jackson throws for about 238, nothing crazy, runs for 43, but oddly enough... The thing that got to them in this one, and not oddly enough if you're a Raven fan, was the Ravens' running game. Gus Bus, Gus Edwards goes for 65, Drake goes for 62, 40 from Lamar, 30 on a reverse from DuVernay, 28 more from Justice Hill. And then if you're a Buccaneer fan in this game, you're thinking immediately, oh, well, you know, let's go in there. Let's try and do our best against Baltimore. You see Mark Andrews go down early, you're leading at halftime, and you're thinking, well... This is very, very winnable, um, and I tend to agree, but, and it's a big one, this is a Baltimore team this year has that has shown that they are willing to blow leads, right? Ready and willing. They've done it multiple times at home. They almost did it against the Cleveland Browns with Jacoby Brissett, and when push came to shove, Baltimore pulled away a little. It was 17-10, and then the lead gets to 11 after, you know, or or excuse me, pushing into the fourth quarter. And then you have that situation where Tampa's got to generate some momentum on their own, and I don't know. Is it the Magic's gone? Was it Bruce Arians? I don't know what it was. I hesitate to say Tampa Bay's defense played poorly. I think they played all right against Carolina. I think they're better than their offense, if I'm being completely honest. But... I don't know why this offense can't piece it together. Trust me, and look, I get it. It's not anything simple. Tom Brady, one of the brightest football minds, will probably have ever, you know, in terms of success on the field and knowing the X's and O's. It's just not coming together. I don't think Tom's rusty. I don't think Tom's at that point in his career where he's got the Peyton Manning, he's got no legs underneath him. Uh, And I mean, the, the... Last year, Peyton Manning, that is. The one that went on to win a Super Bowl, by the way. And this Tampa defense is good enough to do that if Tom can push it along. But against this Baltimore defense, they didn't really get anything going on the ground. Didn't help. Had another couple of big drops in this game, if memory serves. Rough week for the Buccaneers. The reason, and we discussed this last week, the reason I'm going to say the bigger story is Green Bay is this the Tampa Bay buccaneers dropping to 3 and 5 means that well right now they're a half game out of first place the packers dropping to 3 and 4 means that they are two back in the win column and three back in the loss column that's kind of a big lead for the Minnesota Vikings. So let's talk Packers. They go into Washington taking on a commander's team that doesn't have their starting quarterback, who, oh, by the way, didn't really have the confidence of his head coach anyway. And somehow, they find a way to lose. And I, I'm i not certain what the rhyme or reason is here. And again, they're leading at half, similar to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against Baltimore. They're leading 14-10 at halftime, they go down 20-14, to 14 and they just couldn't get over the hump. They couldn't get over the hump. I mean, their issues are the issues we saw in the offseason, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon may be the best running back tandem in the league, at least in the national football conference. I tend to think Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt would get the edge if you include the AFC. You can talk about the new backfield of McCaffrey and Wilson or McCaffrey and whoever you want to throw in in San Francisco, which is interesting to me, but they just don't have the production at the receiver position. I made fun of this when they signed Sammy Watkins, and I said, Sammy Watkins didn't do enough in Baltimore, and now he's going to go not do enough in Green Bay. Sammy's a good player, I'm not ripping Sammy Watkins saying he doesn't hustle or he doesn't play hard or he doesn't practice or any of those things. He's just not an elite receiver. And when you're losing Devontae Adams, who a lot of people think is a top five or maybe a top three or maybe a top one receiver in the NFL, it's hard for me to believe, oh, we'll replace him with Romeo Dobbs, who I keep calling doobs when I see his name. I've been told it's Dobbs. Oh, Alan Lazard is going to take that next step. I hope so. I think he's pretty talented. But it reminded me of when Pittsburgh and Antonio Brown parted ways, right? And I say when they parted ways because I don't remember exactly how it happened. I wasn't sure if it was a free agent leaving or a trade or what it was. So it was, okay, well, we've got Juju, and then they had Chase Claypool, and they got all these guys, and they got a lot of talent, and they had more talent on those teams at receiver than this Packer team, by the way. And Juju, who's now in Kansas City, and I think starting really to become a piece of their system, and it's going to go pretty well for him based on how he's played the last few weeks, he never took that next step. And Claypool had a a spurt of games where he looked like, you know, people are calling him Mapletron, right? In honor of, you know, he's Canadian, Maple, and Megatron, because he's a big body receiver. And maybe he'll still become a number one, but right now I don't think he is. I mean, Deontay Johnson, is he he their lead guy? I think he was still in there. It might have been a little later. But you get my point. When you give up a number one or lose a number one threat, you need to find a way to fill that gap. And they were never going to find that with the dudes in the room. They just weren't. So when I picked this Packer team to win this division, I thought they'll play good defense, they'll run the darn football. All of a sudden, they run for under 40 yards against the Commanders. Which, look, I'm not pouring over analytics left and right. Maybe you guys can tell me. Maybe the Commanders are an elite NFL defense at 3-4. and I mean, I don't know. They held the Bears to 7. Cool. Like, I mean, they gave up 100 to Derrick Henry. I'm not saying Aaron Jones is Derrick Henry, but, I, I mean, come on. You look back when they played the Cowboys, held Zeke to under 100, you know, maybe they are that guy. Maybe they are those guys, I should say, but undoubtedly the bigger loss to me is Green Bay because they're digging themselves a hole. Tampa Bay has the talent, and they have the pedigree. The only one in Green Bay, to my knowledge, except for maybe Randall Cobb, I guess, that has the pedigree, uh, you know, meaning, uh, sorry, excuse me, the only people remaining that have the pedigree in Green Bay would be Rodgers and maybe Cobb if you'd extend it that far. There are, is no Clay Matthews on that defense. There's no Woodson, you know what I mean? There, there's no Greg Jennings out there at receiver. So, And I'm not saying that Greg Jennings is a Hall of Fame type or he's better than Devontae Adams, but these guys haven't done it. You look at the Green Bay Packers, they're a team that's a perennial, pretty good team, and that's it. You know, I mean, people make fun of the Minnesota Twins in baseball because that's what they do. For a while, that's what they did. The LA Angels, that's what they did. For a little while, there. are uh, extending into other sports. The Atlanta Hawks, there's teams that can be pretty good, but can't get over that hump. But the intriguing thing about the Packers, to me, is those other teams that I mentioned, there's always a flaw, right? For the Minnesota Twins, they kept running into the Yankees. They couldn't beat the Yankees. They couldn't beat the Yankees. You look at the Atlanta Hawks, for those couple of years where they were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference... They were a collection of pretty good players, but didn't have a star. Well, right now, the Green Bay Packers are a team with, in terms of talent level, a quarterback that people would say is probably definitively top 10, possibly top 5, unless you're really saying he's fallen off, right? So, usually that's enough. But here we are, discussing, remember a few years ago when they played the Buccaneers, When they get to the playoffs, he's not the guy that makes the plays that win them those games, because they wind up going home. I'm not saying I'm tearing down Aaron Rodgers' statues here, but in terms of legacy, remember what Peyton Manning had to overcome? Oh, he's just a mediocre playoff performer, right? May have never overcome that, if we're being completely honest. Where's the barbs being thrown at Rodgers, is my point. Will they make the playoffs this year? Gun to my head, I'm still thinking yes, but this NFC is getting crowded. Number two in the standout seven. I know that was a little bit of a long one for number one. Bigger loss, and you know, I've noticed we're going negative a lot for the openings here, but it's because contenders are underachieving, I feel like. Don't worry, the third one, we'll we'll go with some wins, but bigger loss. Take it to the West Coast here. San Francisco 49ers losing at home by three touchdowns. Or the Chargers losing at home by two touchdowns. Wow. That's a rough weekend for California sports. And then you got the Lakers starting 0-4. One of the worst shooting teams in the last 20 years, like up there with the Bobcats. California fans, I'm sorry that you're going through this. It is what it is. It happens. You know what I mean? Look, the Giants have been bad for a while. There's periods in New York, as I say every episode as a New Yorker, you know, There's periods where you just got to go through it, but usually it's not every sport all at once. I mean, the 49ers will be okay. They're a good team. The Chargers will be okay. They're a good team. The Raiders, man, it's been a rough one. But back to the point at hand. Let's get started with Kansas City. They walloped the San Francisco 49ers, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a little surprised. If we take a look down, I had the Chiefs winning this game. We discussed it last week. If you listen back to the other episode, I said, you know, San Francisco... With McCaffrey coming in, they should have the energy, right? It should be a big one for them. But then I thought about the fact that Kansas City had just lost a tight game to Buffalo. And there should be a little bit of a hangover, right? And then I thought, when has Patrick Mahomes lost two games in a row? And for some reason, that was enough to win me over, and here we are. Patty Mahomes goes 25 of 34 for 423 and three touchdowns. We saw more Pacheco, which I thought would happen. I think they're really kind of trying to work him in there without giving up all the gimmicks they've drawn up for Pacheco. Eight touches for 43 on the ground. Did he catch a ball? He did not. Clyde DeRusillaire, six carries for 30. Nicole Hardman, they mixed it up, and they found a way to run for over 100 yards with a couple of guys here and there. Juju had a huge game. A deep bomb to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Travis Kelsey, six catches, 98, as he is inclined to do damn near all the time. Jarek McKinnon involved in the passing game. I mean, everything was clicking for Kansas City in this one, and that was not the case for the San Francisco offense. I mean, San Francisco cannot keep up with a rolling Kansas City team, and honestly, there aren't a lot of teams in the NFL that can keep up with Kansas City when they're rolling. So... This was a rough one. It was nice to see George Kittle putting up decent numbers, six catches for 98 and a touch. I mean, I was getting a little worried that maybe George Kittle was pushing into the tail end of his career here, and it's a lot sooner than I'd expected. So, 49er fan, I guess you can rest your laurels on that one. Um, We have the news out of this one that Debo Samuel is injured, obviously. To my knowledge, I think he's not going to go this week. We'll talk injuries when we get into the pick'em portion, but that one stuck out to me. Um, for San Francisco, and as far as McCaffrey goes, I mean, he got the ball a decent amount. He got 10 touches for about 60 yards, but nothing crazy. The thing that's intriguing to me, and I mentioned it last week, would this San Francisco team be an elite threat offensively if they had Trey Lance a quarterback? And this is not to knock Jimmy Garoppolo, because Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play awful in this game. He goes 25-37, of 37, 303 yards, two touchdowns on a pick. I mean, that's not that bad. When your defense gives up 40, you're probably going to lose if your QB's Jimmy Garoppolo. My point is, the idea of an offense with an elite athlete, and I think Trey Lance is an elite level athlete, or at least a highly above average one, at the quarterback position, comboed with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, and it's like an opposing defense doesn't have nearly enough speed or enough players on the field to contain everything that's going on here. I wonder what that could be. Maybe that's what the trade, what motivated the trade, I should say. That next year they could get that kind of an offense going and keep him comfortable, but he's coming back from an injury. I don't know if it's going to be the same. Either way, big loss for San Francisco. However, however, and there is a but here, it's a crowded division for them. They're a little lucky, I guess, because they're sitting at 3-4, and four, but they're only a game out of first place because the Seattle Seahawks, who are in first place, went down to L.A. and walloped the Chargers. And when I say walloped, I mean it was 17-0 in the first. Chargers clawed back and clawed back. And, I mean, it's 27-14 at the end of three. It got kind of interesting, but realistically, Geno Smith did enough, and Kenny Walker did the rest. DK Metcalf gets hurt in this one, which is a huge one. I'm already not super in on Seattle as a contender. I think they're more of a pretender. But him getting hurt makes me even more iffy because I don't know I mean is Kenny Walker gonna be able to drop you a buck 50 every week I'm not sure I' I'm, he's pretty darn talented but I'm not sure there the more weapons you have on the outside the better particularly because Gino I think is a meh NFL quarterback I'm not buying into the resurgence I'm sorry I'll eat crow on that one later in the year probably but not right now Um. So therefore, having all those weapons on the outside at least threatens the opposing secondary. With this, with Metcalf gone, they're going to be able to bite down a little more, focus on guys like Lockett a little more. Either way, big win for the Seattle Seahawks. So back to the question at hand. The bigger loss. Who was it? Well, honestly, I think it might be the Chargers. Because reminder, The Chargers have already lost to the team they're chasing in the Kansas City Chiefs. I thought that they would be making a big step this year. Obviously, the Justin Herbert injury did not help. Um, But getting punked at home is just a really bad look. It, It really is. And you say, well, I mean, they didn't get punked as bad as San Francisco. Yeah, but San Francisco was playing the Kansas City Chiefs in a Super Bowl rematch. I mean... Two bowl from a few years ago, obviously. I don't know. Getting punked by Seattle at home, not a good look. I'm gonna say the Chargers had the bigger loss. Now, while we're here, let's put a positive spin on things. Number three in the standout seven, bigger win. The Seattle Seahawks, punking said Chargers on the road. Or the Miami Dolphins gritting out a sixteen to ten win in a game that they led thirteen to nothing at the end of the first quarter. Um I'm gonna say Miami. I don't think Tua Tungavailoa played fantastic. In fact, it was weird to me because he goes 21 to 35, which if you do the quick math is a 60% completion percentage, and I would say his biggest strength as a passer is accuracy. That's that's who he is. You know, I think he's closer to field manager than gunslinger, but he's getting closer to the gunslinger than he was when he was younger, right? In terms of the talent around him, he can sling it. He's doing the job. But 21-35, excuse me, in his first game back against a pretty good defense led by Mike Tomlin, obviously, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Not to mention, they're sitting at 4-3 and three now, and all of a sudden, they're in third place in their own division. Right? You're talking about hunting for a wild card spot. Right now, the Jets are 5-2, and two, and then you get into the Titans at 4-2, and two, the Super Bowl... Losers in Cincinnati at 4-3, and three. the Chargers we just talked about at 4-3, and three, and Miami with New England on their tail. Will Buffalo – excuse me, will Cleveland do anything? Will the Colts with Sam Ellinger put on a show? I'm not sure. Um, I think this was a bigger win. I, I want to say for Miami, but for Seattle, I mean, it was huge to me. I think everyone knows – or at least not everyone knows because you don't know anything in the NFL until it happens. I think a lot of people believe that this Miami team is good enough to be a playoff team, and we saw that earlier in the season with what they did to Baltimore and with what they did to Buffalo, right? The Buffalo game, you know, I knocked it at the time, but it's a win's a win's a win. They beat a team that most people believe is the best team in the NFL. Straight up. Straight up. Right? They came back in Baltimore. You know what I mean? I mean, they put up a fight with their backup quarterback, I'd say, against Cincinnati. So I think this team is pretty darn good. The reason I was leaning Miami because I was gonna say they announced that they're still here, but I don't think anyone thought they were gone. Right? They've got Detroit this week, that's a game they should win. Spoilers for the pick'em portion. They've got Chicago the following week, that's a game they should win. They've got Cleveland the following week, game they should win, Houston after a bye between there game they should win. Like, they've got winnable games left on their schedule. They've still got one against the Jets in Week 18 and one against the Pats in Week 17. What are we talking here? Pushing towards 10 wins. Seattle finding a way to remain relevant and staying alive, staying alive, staying alive. I think it's huge. You know, good for Pete Carroll. Good for Pete Carroll. Good for the Seahawks. Good for you guys, Seahawk fans. I'm sure you are probably... Some of you are like, eh, you know, we got to start losing if we're going to get a franchise QB. I eh, don't want that C.J. Stroud, you know, are we going to have to take Hendon Hooker? I don't know. Don't worry about it. Look, it is what it is. Sometimes you get that surprise contending season and you never know how it's going to end. Could end with Geno Smith holding up a Lombardi. And if that's the case, man, what a wild year it will have been. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk about the Indianapolis Colts. Um, The Colts go into Tennessee. By the way, I saw this stat. The Colts have played seven games, right? They played Houston in week one, division game. They played the Jaguars in week two, division game. They played the Chiefs. Then they played Tennessee, division game. They played Denver. Then they played the Jaguars, division game, and the Titans a second time. We're talking five division games in their first seven. So it's all out of division as they go. They've got the Commanders this week, they've got New England, they've got the Raiders, you know, they've still got Pittsburgh, Philly, Dallas, Minnesota, Chargers, Giants and they end the year with their last division game against the Houston Texans. So it's it's a weird road but they'll get there eventually. So the reason, obviously, we are talking about them is the fact that they've decided that Matt Ryan's not that dude. Matt Ryan is being benched. They were saying he was going through an injury. And I said, okay. And then I was watching NFL Network, and they just casually said, well, yep, Matt Ryan's on the bench. And I was like, oh, for the injury? And they're like, no, he's not going to start for the rest of the year. Uh, Will that be a decision that Frank Reich will hold? Will that be a decision he will regret? I'm not sure. Um... I mean, you take a look. When they played Tennessee in week four, he goes 27-37, 356, two touchdowns and a pick. He didn't play that bad in that game. right? He's coming off of a game against Jacksonville where he threw for 389 yards. I mean, week one they tie and he goes for 350. This past week against Tennessee, he didn't play his greatest game. He threw two interceptions, he goes for 243. Is he having a bad year? By his standards, yes. The interceptions are up. They are. They certainly are. He's played seven games and he's got nine interceptions. However, is Sam Ellinger, and I'm assuming, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name correctly here, is Sam Ellinger the answer? Well, let's take a look back. Sam Ellinger, four years at Texas, right? His last season... 60.2% completion percentage, which is a dip down from what he had the years prior. 26 touchdowns to 5 picks. Okay. The year before, 65% completion percentage. 652 mind you. 32 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Those are pretty good numbers. However, he winds up going in the sixth round. He's got some mobility. You know, he ran for 600 yards that junior year. Is he going to be the guy? Is it just, well, our guy's hurt. Let's see what happens. Because I feel like the obvious way to play this out would be Matt's hurt. Matt can't play. We'll send Sam out there and see what happens. And you just kind of play it close to the vest. Maybe only the coaching staff knows that this is an audition. Maybe you only tell Sam about it. And you say, well, let's see him go out there. You consider who the Colts have coming. Right? They've got the Commanders, as I said, and we, we just discussed this actually, excuse me. They've got a lot of out-of-division games. They've got the Commanders, they've got the Patriots, they've got the Raiders as their next three. Would it shock you if Ellinger went out and won two of three? Then you could naturally let the QB controversy questions start flooding in and say, oh, I don't know, and then who knows the condition of Matt's injury by then, and or who knows who the fan base wants by then. Making this decision this early, in my opinion, is setting yourself up for a potential told-you-so or a potential flip-flop later in the year. I can respect someone, you know, standing by their convictions or saying, you know what, no, I think Ellinger's the guy. I, I, Ryan's not the guy. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. Okay, well, last year, Frank... Carson Wentz was the guy until he wasn't the guy at the very end of the year against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the biggest game of your season. So here we are now, and Matt Ryan, who is a former MVP and a former, you know, Super Bowl quarterback. I was going to say Super Bowl challenger, but that doesn't really sound right. I mean, a guy that was really minutes away from being a Super Bowl champion. And if he was a Super Bowl champion, I'd say he'd be pretty close to being a Hall of Famer. And I mean it, it's week eight and you're 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 calling it. You know, nine touchdowns, nine picks. I know he's not playing great, but what are you just gonna keep trading for veteran quarterbacks? Like I don't get it. Is look, if Ellingers plays great, he's your guy, sure, but are you gonna pay Matt Ryan this money to sit on the pine? Not sure the front office is ecstatic about that one. Um, Does this make me... hmm, How does this make me feel, I should say, about my preseason pick of the Colts to win the division? Um, Hesitant. I still think this Colts team is good enough to win the AFC South. I mean, you take a look, they're a half game out. They're 3-3-1, And Tennessee is 4-2. Actually, it's not even a half game. It's like a weird percentage situation here. 3-3-1 versus 4-2. And And you don't have to play them anymore. You take a look at who Tennessee has left, it's not like it's the cupcake of the cupcakes. Sure, they've got got the Houston Texans this week, but they've still got to play Kansas City. They've still got to play Denver. Who knows what that'll be like? They've still got to play Green Bay in Green Bay. On short rest. They've still got to play Cincinnati, Philly, the Chargers, Dallas. I mean, it's not smooth sailing for them either. This could be a division where nine wins gets it done. Ten wins gets it done. If you think Matt's over the hill after seven games, I tend to think you thought he was over the hill in the offseason and you got outvoted. Just my opinion, you know. No, just just putting it out there, hypothetically. Because if you're turning on him right now, I don't know if you were super hot on him to begin with. And if that's the case, you shouldn't have traded for Matt Ryan. Did you get beat to the punch on Russell Wilson, who's not looking so hot out in Denver? Did you consider the Deshaun Watson debacle, right? You say, you know what? No, the PR, we don't like this and that. We don't want to deal with the things that come with it off the field, which is a respectable take. You wound up with Matt Ryan and we're less than a full half a season in here and you're chalking it. Just a weird take. Uh, a weird move, I should say, by Frank Reich and the Indianapolis Colts. Speaking of quarterback controversies, let's talk about the New England Patriots, number five in the standout seven, the QB non-troversy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, prior to the New England Patriots going out there and getting blown out somehow by the Chicago Bears in a game in which Mac Jones threw six passes, one of which may or may not have been deflected by a wire supporting a camera, which was then intercepted. Um, Bailey Zappi had gone out and played pretty well. Now, was he lighting the world on fire? Mm. He played the Browns, and he threw for 300 yards and two touchdowns. He played Detroit in week 5 who had entered with one of the worst defenses in the league. He goes 17 of 21 very efficient, a buck 88, a touchdown and a pick. Okay. 10 for 15 against Green Bay with a touchdown, 99 yards. All right. He winds up going 14 of 22 after Mac is benched. A buck 85, a touchdown and two interceptions. Mind you, in terms of productivity, the entire New England offense in terms of scoring was the first two drives with Bailey Zappi. It went from 10 nothing Chicago to 14-10 New England in the blink of an eye, and people were posting memes online about how Mac Jones was the new Drew Bledsoe, and then, oh, by the way, the Bears had something to say about that. Justin Fields in this game, for those interested, 13-21, a buck 79, a touchdown and a pick, and he ran for 82. Montgomery ran for 62. Herbert ran for 62. Dante Pettis chipped in 29 on the ground um, they ran all over this New England defense all over them to the tune of almost 250 what's my take um, I say it's a non-traversy because coming into this game I think we were uncertain on how healthy Mac Jones was and I found it a little weird that it was just kind of you know he was out there for six passes and they yanked him it I'm not a psychiatrist, right? But, and I will play one in your ear right now. That's the saying, play one on TV. I don't think it's a wise idea to take a young NFL quarterback, have him go out there, and say, "Ah, oh, yeah, you know, go out there. We think you're healthy. He throws six passes and you're yanking him. Because, like, tying back to what I said about Frank Reich and Matt Ryan were you really all in on this I mean look Mac Jones was a pro bowler last year now the pro bowl means nothing to me but you take a look at the statistics I mean 67.6% completion percentage as a rookie quarterback 22 touchdowns 13 interceptions the turnovers a little high but I mean 67% considering who they're running out there at receiver in New England that's pretty good Right now, this season, he's sitting at 65. He's two touchdowns to six picks after the interception he threw that may or may not have been deflected by a wire on Monday Night Football. The reason I say it's a non is because the starter should be Mac Jones. And look, you've already heard at this point, Mac's taking most of the reps with the ones. He's the starter. It, it doesn't make sense to go to Zappy. You can have Zappy on the back burner, sure. But you've invested a high draft pick in Mac Jones, certainly a higher draft pick than you've invested in Bailey Zappi, right? Right or wrong? That's just the way it is. On top of that, you have to consider, and I know every team wants to be the best team in their division. Every team wants to win the division, then go win in the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, do the thing, right? Buffalo's better than you. Right now, and we'll find out fairly quickly, right now, the Jets have a better record than you. Oh, by the way, you play them this week. Let's see if they're better than you. Miami is better than you. You are the worst team in your division with a quarterback that is young and developing. In my opinion, one of the worst things you could do is rush him out there, which I'm not saying he was hurt. I'm just saying they yanked him pretty darn quick. And if they're going back to him, why'd you yank him so quick? Just floating the hypothetical. Just floating a question for you. A rhetorical question, I should say. So, why not let your quarterback play and develop? We've seen it with young QBs all over the league for decades and decades. It doesn't always equal wins right away. Right? The Peyton Manning one. Trevor Lawrence looks better this year than he did last. Right? He looked awful last year. He's a can't-miss prospect. There's plenty of guys that it take. Look at Geno Smith. I told you I'm not all in. But there's plenty of people who are. Geno Smith, some people are saying it took him 10 years to develop. Riding Pine and learning and learning and finding the perfect fit. So, knowing what you know about your team, Bill Belichick, what's the point of sending Mac out there to yank him after six pass attempts? Hey, come on. What are we doing at that point? Non-traversy, Mac's team for now. We'll revisit that in a few weeks by the way Because it will get spicy Because if they lose to the Jets And then they play the Colts And if they lose to the Colts They have a bye And then they have the Jets again I'm not certain Bill Belichick won't make a weird decision In that three week period I think Bill is I I talked about Tom Brady's football intelligence Bill Belichick is you know The architect of a dynasty He knows football But for some reason, I think this one was a little bit of a botch by good old Bill. Number six in the standout seven, it's time to check in on the New York sports. Don't worry. Don't worry. Do not turn it off. We're not going to have another baseball rant. Don't worry. As much as I want to, as much as it needs to be said, we'll leave those for, you know, my friends and family who hear me rant more than enough about the New York Yankees. We won't talk about the New York Knicks. We're not doing that. We're talking, of course, about the six and one New York Giants and the five and two New York Jets, who did something that they have not been able to do in a long time. They took care of business in games they were supposed to win. Now, varying degrees of taking care of business, mind you. The New York Giants were losing this football game um, coming into the fourth quarter, right, seventeen to thirteen. They made a play at the one-yard line to win the game. Granted, it was very weird. You know, Saquon Barkley getting called out of bounds when he was trying to give himself up, and even the broadcast team was like, but he was giving himself up, yada, yada, yada. You know, whatever. The Giants threw for 200 and ran for 200. That hasn't happened in a minute. Darius Slayton with a touchdown looked pretty good. The Giants then traded Kadarius Toney, which I'm sure I was going to bring up in the roundup, so I guess we'll do that later. It's in the notes, but don't even get me started. They did the job. At the end of the day, they went out and faced Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, who ran for a buck 15 on them, mind you. Uh, looks like a pretty darn good NFL running back, as expected. Looked pretty good at Clemson. And they took care of business. Are the Giants legit contenders? I don't know. Defensively, I'd say maybe. Offensively, I want to see a team that's going to test them and push them to the point where Daniel Jones has to go out there and throw for like 285 to win a game. Will that be this week against Seattle? Maybe. We'll talk that more in the pick'em portion, but you take a look at some of the teams they've beaten. I mean, the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers with a bad offense, the Carolina Panthers, Tennessee early in the season, which was a big one. I'll give you that one. Baltimore's a big one too. Huge, right? And Green Bay is still arguably a pretty darn good football team, in my opinion. They've got Seattle, then they've got a bye. Then they've got the Texans and the Lions. Then it gets a little bit harder. Then they've got Dallas on Thanksgiving. They've got the Commanders twice with sandwiching the Philadelphia Eagles in New Jersey. Then they've got Minnesota who's contending. The Colts who will be contending at that time, maybe. And they end in Philly in a game where Philly might have everything wrapped up. Philly might be 17-0. I don't know. 16-0 at that point. Excuse me. Either way, Giants keep rolling. The New York Jets is a weird one because Brees Hall, who's been a real bright spot for their offense, goes down in this one. They trade for James Robinson from the Jaguars, obviously, um, because ETN has supplanted him as the starting running back, as he was drafted to do, I would assume. And it leads me to the same question. Can this Jets team win a game where the running game's not getting it done? You know, Brees Hall goes four carries for 72 in this one. The rest of the running backs go for, let's do some quick math here, 20 carries for 83 yards. Not the worst, you know? Not the worst, that's obviously not all running backs. Berrios had a couple of carries. Wilson had a couple of carries on scrambles. The receiving core in the passing game hasn't done much to wow me. I still think Garrett Wilson's pretty darn talented. I like Braxton Berrios as a role player. I like Uzoma in Cincinnati. I still like him but can this Jets team beat Buffalo? I don't think so. Can this Giants team beat Philly? Mm, I think it's closer, but I still don't think so. You know, you beat Brett Rippon on the road. Tremendous. And you beat the Jaguars on the road. Tremendous. But the point being that I wanted to bring up, they did what they're supposed to do. Something that good teams can do. They win when they're supposed to. That'll bring us to number 7 in the standout 7, which, of course, is the injury roundup because we've got quite a few. DK Metcalf hurt, which we mentioned. David Njoku of the Browns, out 2-5. to five. Weeks J.C. Jackson, a big acquisition for the Chargers, unfortunately. Dislocated his knee, and he is out for the season. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker, also of the New York Jets. We mentioned Brees Hall before, out for the year. Vera Tucker on the O-line. Out for the year. Evan Neal on the Giants. Giants got a little more lucky than the Jets did. Only out three to four weeks with his knee injury, though. Daniel Bellinger fractured his eye socket. He's going to miss two to six after his eye surgery this week. Um, Frank Clark of the Kansas City Chiefs was suspended two games for violation of the personal conduct policy. Robert Quinn was traded from Chicago to Philly, which is huge. Um, it's It's a great get by the Philadelphia Eagles helping their pass rush intriguing to see Roquan Smith crying at the press conference not trying to say anything about it nothing wrong with crying I just mean intriguing for a guy that had demanded a trade before and you know he came in in relatively good faith it seems and you trade a guy that evidently obviously he was pretty close with you got to wonder is Roquan Smith also on the trade block if he is oh boy the bidding will start rather quickly Jamar Chase reportedly out four to six weeks with a hip injury as well. Russell Wilson is going to be back this week. Shaq Barrett of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tore his Achilles in their Thursday night loss to the Ravens. Um, I mean, you have the Tom Brady divorce thing. I mean, that's not really what I like to do. We don't really like to do too much off the field. You know what I mean? Not saying it's like a controversy, but come on. It's unfortunate for the Brady family. Um, people talking about he should retire, he should this, he should that. He should do whatever he sees fit for himself, his kids, his family. I don't know. I'm not in his head. Um, that'll bring us to the end of my standout seven and take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick portion of this week's episode where we're going to break down Week 8 and the Thursday night game of Week 9. And we're going to get started back overseas as the Denver Broncos, led by Russell Wilson, take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are the de facto team of London at this point, at Wembley Stadium at 9.30 a.m., only on ESPN Plus, is what I'm hearing, which is an interesting one to me. Uh, Oh, by the way, we skipped over the Tony thing. I, I was going to put it in there. So, Kadarius Tony gets dealt. Not the worst haul for the New York Giants, there's rumors they're going to go after Jerry Judy, because Dable has ties to Judy, obviously on the Broncos, which we're going to talk about in a sec. It's intriguing, because when I was able to see Tony on the field as a Giant, he looked like a pretty good contributor. I you know, riff about the Giants over and over that they went out, signed Galladay, drafted Tony, and then drafted Robinson. Two first-round picks into receivers. Haven't seen too much out of either of them. Um, Tony's saying he's fine. He's saying the injury was nothing. He'll be able to play. But worth noting, Kansas City does not play this week, so it doesn't matter if he can play this week. The Giants wanted to rest him this week and then rest him into their bye and then bring him back, supposedly. Well, he's going to get a similar amount of rest anyway, considering Kansas City doesn't have to play this week. I think it's a good get for Kansas City as well because while they're trying to fill in that Tyreek Hill gap and Juju Smith-Schuster looked fantastic the last couple of games, the more players you can get who have dynamic talent, the better, right? As many as possible. Go for it. And look, at the end of the day, it's unfair for me to criticize the Giants because I'm sure that's what their rationale was. When they went out and got Galladay, the big body wide out, then they get Tony, who's smaller and shiftier, then they get Robinson, who's even smaller than him, but also still shifty at the receiver position. Sure, well, we're stacking dynamic talent. Well, you got to get that dynamic talent on the field to make a difference. Either way, pick them portion time. Denver Broncos injury report. They're going to be without Tyree Cleveland at wide receiver with a groin injury. Offensive lineman Cameron Fleming with a quad. Outside linebacker Baron Browning with a hip injury. Corner Isang Bassi with a hammy. And Caden Stearns at safety with a hip. Questionable for the Jaguars, just Jamal Agnew at wideout with a knee injury. I don't know who to take in this game. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you because the obvious pick is the Denver Broncos. But. Considering the way the Broncos offense was playing when Russell wasn't battling that hamstring injury on top of the other injury he already had to his lat, I mean, would it be an upset if the Jaguars win? They're, they're both 2-5. The Jaguars almost beat the Giants, and the Giants are a pretty good team. You know what? Give me the Jaguars. I'm very hesitant on this one, but give me the Jaguars to win in their new hometown, essentially, over in London back stateside the real games kick off with the miami dolphins heading to detroit at 1 p.m i was going to try and think of a little cheeky way to talk about this game but it's you know the only team to go undefeated 16 and 0 and one of the only teams to go 0 and 16 it's kind of cute um the dolphins listing two tight ends is questionable for this one tanner connor with a knee and durham smythe with a hammy I have to make a comment on the fact that his name is Tanner Connor, and it could easily be Connor Tanner, and I know no, no difference. Uh, I'm sorry, there's not a lot of people with two first names that could work in flip-flop order. That's just an impressive name. Um, also questionable on the defensive side, End Emmanuel Ogba with a back, corner Xavier Howard, big one, with a groin, and safety Clayton Fegedalum with a groin injury as well. Apologies if I botched that one. Uh, punter Thomas Morstead is also questionable with an illness. The Lions on the other side are going to be without offensive lineman Matt Nelson with a calf injury and a laundry list of players on the defensive side. D-lineman Charles Harris with a groin injury, DBs Mike Hughes with a knee, Chase Lucas with an ankle, Deshaun Elliott with a finger, and Ifetu Melifonwu with an ankle as well. Questionable, huge one, wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown still in that concussion protocol, and offensive lineman Jonah Jackson with a neck. Taking Miami to win this one on the road. I thought it might be interesting, but if Amon Ra's not going to be out there, maybe not. Next, a battle for NFC South supremacy as the Carolina Panthers head to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. Um, Yeah, why not? The Panthers are going to be without, presumably, their new lead back, Chuba Hubbard with an ankle. Questionable, four on the defensive side. D-end Marquise Haynes Sr. with an illness. Linebacker Frankie Louvu with a shoulder. Corner J.C. Horn with a rib injury. And safety Justin Burris with a hip injury. For the Falcons, two missing in their defensive backfield. A.J. Terrell with a hammy. And safety Jalen Hawkins with a concussion. Questionable, also in the defensive backfield. D. Alford with a hammy as well. This is a hard game to pick because... I didn't expect the Panthers to do much of anything against Tampa Bay, and yet there they were. And I expected the Falcons to, uh, you know, put up a decent fight against Cincinnati, and yet there they were. So am I diametrically wrong on both of these teams? I am not sure. If the Falcons had Cordero in this one, I'd be a little bit more confident. However, obviously, Cordero's still not there. I'm going to take the Falcons to win this one at home. And you know what? It's a little bit of a coin toss. I can't give you a perfect rationale. I can tell you this much. I'm fairly confident in Mariota and Drake London, and eventually Kyle Pitts will get to play and get targets and catch passes, and maybe that'll be this week. Next, the Arizona Cardinals head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Cardinals going to be without... Running back James Conner with a rib injury, two on the O-line, in Max Garcia with a shoulder and Rodney Hudson with a knee, as well as linebacker Dennis Gardeck with an ankle and corner Christian Matthew with a hammy. Questionable, backup running back Darrell Williams with a knee, offensive lineman o- excuse me DJ Humphreys with a back injury, corner Byron Murphy Jr. with a back, and their kicker Matt Prater with a hip. For the Vikings on the other side, just one player listed. D-lineman Jonathan Bullard is questionable with an illness. I'm taking Minnesota in this one. I was kind of fighting the urge to take the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins back because I wonder if they can get back to that elite level that they were at for a little bit last season. But considering Connor's not going to be there and there's injuries on their O-line, you know what? Give me Minnesota to start trying to open up that lead on the Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. Speaking of the NFC North, Chicago Bears head down to Dallas To take on the Cowboys in a matchup that sounded a lot more exciting 40 years ago. The Bears going to be without offensive lineman Larry Borum with a concussion. Cowboys doubtful running back Ezekiel Elliott. Adjust your DFS and or gambling slips and or fantasy lineups. Accordingly, he's still battling a knee injury. Um, Questionable wide receiver Noah Brown with a foot. Tight end Dalton Schultz with a knee. Offensive lineman Terrence Steele with a neck. Defensive lineman Sam Williams with a knee. Micah Parsons, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, with a shoulder. Another linebacker, Devin Harper, with an Achilles. And safety, Malik Hooker, with a hammy. Notably, not on this list, Dak Prescott. He's back, obviously, still. I'm taking Dallas to win this game at home. Next, the Las Vegas Raiders head to. New Orleans to take on the Saints in the Dennis Allen Bowl, perhaps? Is, is that what we're going with here? I mean, Dennis is coaching the Saints now, and I believe he did coach this Raiders team when they were still in Oakland. Um, neither here nor there. A lot of offensive talent on the injured list for, excuse me, the injury report for the Las Vegas Raiders. Devontae Adams, questionable with an illness. Mac Hollins, questionable with a heel injury. DJ Turner, questionable with a hammy, and tight end Darren Waller, also questionable with a hammy. On the defensive side, just three. Tayshawn Bauer on the D-line with an illness, linebacker Divine Diablo with a back and an ankle, and safety Jonathan Abram with an illness as well. Speaking of big-name talent potentially not playing, the Saints are going to be without Michael Thomas in this one with a foot injury, Jarvis Landry with an ankle, and Marshawn Lattimore with an abdominal injury. Questionable: two tight ends, Adam Troutman with an ankle and Juwan Johnson with a hammy. Offensive lineman Andrews Pete with a chest injury. Defensive lineman David Onyemata with an illness. And corner Paulson Adebo with a knee. Obviously, I mention it every week, injury reports, courtesy of NFL.com. Shout out to the NFL for keeping up their injury information for those of us out here that need to keep everyone else surprised of the injury information. Now back to the topic at hand. I'm taking the Raiders in this game. I said before that the Raiders might be the best one-and-four team I had ever seen, um, and they went out there last week and they handled their business, 38 to 20 against the Houston Texans. The injury potentially of Adams and Hollins makes this game kind of interesting. Could turn this game into a lower-scoring affair than it realistically would have been. Obviously, um, however, considering the way the Saints have looked this season. I'm not super high on them either way. Give me the Raiders to win this one on the road. Next, the Battle of Philadelphia. What a week for Philadelphia sports. Excuse me. Well, I guess it is the Battle of Philadelphia. The Battle of Pennsylvania. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Philly to take on the Eagles. And as we're recording this, the Philadelphia Phillies are Preparing for Game 1 of the World Series. How's that one going to go? I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. You know, why not? Comment section, social media, same spiel as before. Who do you think is going to win it all? you think the Philadelphia Phillies are going to win it in a year where the Eagles are looking like Super Bowl contenders? Is it going to be Town USA in Philly? Uh, Philly, notably at home in this one, still undefeated, only team in the NFL, listing no one on their injury report. Pittsburgh, on the other hand, though, listing two is out. Larry Ogunjobi on the D-line, and Levi Wallace at corner with a shoulder. Also questionable, DB Josh Jackson with a groin injury. Um, as much as I like Kenny Pickett, and we didn't really talk about Kenny Pickett in that Miami game. We talked about Miami returning to being a contender with two-a-back. Pickett threw two bad picks in that game, and I'm sure the third one, if I would remember it, was probably not great either. Kenny... <sighs> Kenny's not bad. I think he's a pretty good quarterback, honestly. We talked about it way back when we were doing a little bit of draft analysis in the off season. but I'm a Kenny Pickett fan. I think he's a pretty good QB. I do think, however, he's got to, obviously, it's a rookie year, right? The turnovers are awful. Because in a game that they lose 16-10, to he throws an interception to end their hopes near the goal line, and he throws an interception with 2.5-ish or 3 minutes left, I believe, over midfield. That can't happen. You know, you just got to be a little bit more conservative than that. I know he's trying to make plays, he's trying to get it done. And I'm sure if you're a Steeler fan, you're saying, you know, it's growing pains. It is what it is. Come on. Lock in. Lock in. Especially for Steeler fans everywhere, considering you're playing the Eagles. If you miss the playoffs this year, it's not the end of the world. If you miss the playoffs, but you beat the Eagles here and maybe steal one against Baltimore, wasn't that bad of a year. However, I'm not exactly predicting that. I'm taking Philly to win this one at home. Next, our final 1 o'clock kick is the aforementioned AFC East showdown between Bill Belichick's Patriots and the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Patriots going to be without offensive lineman David Andrews with a concussion and defensive lineman Christian Barmore with a knee injury. Questionable, wide receiver Nelson Aguilar with a hammy, offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn with a shoulder, linebacker Anthony Jennings with a calf, linebacker Josh Uche with a hammy, corner Jonathan Jones with an ankle, safety Kyle Duggar with an ankle, and safety Adrian Phillips with a shoulder. I respect Bill Belichick's thoroughness of his injury reports, and it will never change. We've been doing this show for, I believe, six seasons now, and it is almost every week that the Patriots have the longest injury report because, well, he wants to keep us surprised of what's going on and nagging injuries in the sword and the sort. You know, I can appreciate it. Uh, the Jets going to be without, obviously, Brees Hall, as we mentioned. Uh, wide receiver Corey Davis as well with a knee injury. Questionable offensive lineman Dwayne Brown with a shoulder and defensive lineman Jermaine Johnson with an ankle. I'm torn on this game because I think a Bill Belichick-led defense with a decent enough offense, should be able to beat this Jets team. However, I thought a Bill Belichick-led defense with a decent enough offense would be able to beat the Bears easily. Um, Can Zach Wilson do with his feet what Justin Fields can do with his feet? Not even close. Can Zach Wilson do what Daniel Jones can do? I would say no. But can Zach Wilson do enough with his feet to exploit some of the issues New England was having against the Bears? It's possible. You know, James Robinson, I would say, is as good a running back as the Bears have, you know, in terms of Herbert or and or Montgomery. I don't think those are world beaters of the running back position. I'm going to take the Jets in this game, but whenever you're picking a bad team that is trying to become good, it's it's a little spooky. Give me the Jets, because they're at home. But that hasn't mattered to Patriots teams in the past. Next, our lone 405 kick is an AFC South showdown between the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. Titans going to be without fullback Tory Carter with a neck injury and linebacker Rashad Weaver with a back. Questionable? Kind of an interesting one. Ryan Tannehill with an ankle and D-lineman Jeffrey Simmons with an ankle. We'll get back to Tannehill in a sec. The Texans, listing a handful of players as questionable as well. Wide receiver Nico Collins with a groin. Wide receiver Brandon Cooks, who may be a trade target for a few teams. I'm here in Green Bay with a wrist. Offensive lineman Kenyon Green with a shoulder. Justin McCray with a hand. AJ Cann with an illness. And 2D lineman Malik Collins with a chest injury. And Rasheem Green with a knee. The reason I say this Tannehill injury is intriguing to me not because I'm particularly rooting against the Tennessee Titans or because I'm a super huge fan of Malik Willis, is because they're playing this game and next week they have Kansas City. And it feels like it could put them in a little bit of a pickle because they're in a very winnable division, right? I was saying it before, the Colts can still win this division and the the Titans still have some hard games on their schedule. The reason I say this could put them in a predicament is if Tannehill doesn't go, or if he goes but doesn't go the whole game, we are going to potentially see Malik Willis on the football field. And if Malik Willis balls out against the Tennessee, excuse me, against the Houston Texans, which he would be inclined to do because he's a pretty talented guy at the QB position, it would be weird when next week they go to Kansas City to play a primetime game, they go back to Tannehill, and if things get iffy, which, ask the 49ers, against the Chiefs, it can fast. You might start hearing some smatterings in the audience, if they haven't begun already, for Malik Willis to get out there and get more playing time, get more involved. Oh, by the way, who would he be involved against the next week? The Denver Broncos, which they have a pretty good defense, but it's a more winnable game, right? Then they have Green Bay. I don't know. Just saying, just put it out there. You know, this could be the seed that is planted in the mind of the fan that leads to the transition to the young athletic QB. Just put it out there. Next, at 425, a battle of surprising NFC contenders as the New York Giants head to Seattle to take on their former QB, Geno Smith, and the Seattle Seahawks. This is going to be an interesting one. The Giants are going to be without wide receiver Kenny Galladay with a knee injury, The aforementioned Daniel Bellinger with an eye at tight end. Evan Neal at offensive lineman with a knee, as well as Ben Breedson with a knee. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez in the linebacking core going to miss this one with a quad. And corner Cordell Flott still battling a calf injury. Questionable for the Giants, offensive lineman Tyre Phillips with a toe. Defensive lineman Leonard Williams with an elbow. And safety Jason Pinnock with a foot injury. The Seahawks are going to be without linebacker Nick Bellore, who's in the concussion protocol. Doubtful, wide receiver Penny Hart with a hammy. Questionable, wide receivers Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, the former with a hammy slash rib injury and the latter with a knee. Offensive lineman Gabe Jackson and Phil Haynes, both questionable as well, as well as on the defensive side of the ball, D-lineman Puna Ford, linebacker Daryl Taylor, and corner Sidney Jones, the fourth. Don't see a lot of the fourths around nowadays. Um, this is a hard one to get a feel for. Because as I alluded to before, if Metcalf doesn't go, I lean heavily towards the New York Giants. And a lot was made that the Chargers didn't run the ball enough against the Seattle Seahawks. I don't think that's going to be a problem with the New York football Giants. I think Saquon Barkley's is going to get the ball about 20-something times on the ground, plus a couple more in the air. Daniel Jones is going to get his scrambling going. I don't know. I think the New York Giants walk out of this field, excuse me, walk out of Seattle at 7-1 for the first time in a very, very long time. Next, our second 425 game. It's the Wentz Bowl, and Wentz is in playing, which if you're an Eagle fan, you're chuckling at and you think is pretty par for the course. The Washington Commanders head to Indy to take on the Colts. Commander's going to be without tight end Cole Turner with a concussion, linebacker Cole Holcomb with a foot injury questionable, wide receiver De'Ami Brown with a groin, tight end Logan Thomas with a calf injury, and guard Sadiq Charles with an illness. The Colts, obviously, we said, going to be without Matt Ryan, going to be without defensive lineman Quiddy Pay with an ankle, linebacker Grant Stewart with a pectoral, and questionable for this one, corner Kenny Moore II with a finger injury. I'm going to take the Colts in this game. This is Heineke against Ellinger. I don't know what's going to happen. I think Terry McLaurin will probably be... (sighs) I don't want to say he's the X-Factor... Because realistically, it's it's the quarterback. I mean, if Heineke can put it somewhere near Terry, he'd probably come down with it and make a play. How much can Kerry do? I think there's going to be some ball control going on by the Colts, obviously. Can they stack the box and really lock down Jonathan Taylor on the ground? We were just talking about it with the Packers, right? They didn't really run the ball much against them. I don't know if Indy's going to have a choice. Maybe I should take the Commanders in this one, but I'm going to take Ellinger. Let's see what happens. A new era of Colts football, and I think it starts with a win at home. Our final 425 game really could have been the 830 game, or the Sunday night game if we didn't have a stacked one already. The San Francisco 49ers, fresh off of a beatdown, head to L.A. to take on the defending champion Rams. The Niners, going to be without Kyle Juszczyk with a finger injury, without Debo Samuel with a hammy, Without Dre Greenlaw with a calf injury and without Arik Armstead with a foot slash ankle injury. Questionable, wide receiver Jawan Jennings with a hammy and corner Jason Verrett with a knee. Rams, going to be without Cam Akers. It is all but guaranteed he's either going to be released or traded in the coming weeks here. Um, Questionable, wide receiver Brandon Powell with an ankle injury. If I'm picking straight up with my head, I'm going to think... There's no way the 49ers are going to get punched in the mouth in back-to-back games. But I am going to pick the Rams in this game because I'm going to think that Sean McVay did enough homework during the bye week that he's going to be able to find a way to get this offense on track. Because if McVay can't do it with an extended period of time, I can tell you this much, it's I'm not sure it's doable at that point. Give me the Rams to win this one in relatively surprising fashion at home. Next, our Sunday night football game. Live from Buffalo, New York, the Green Bay Packers take on the Buffalo Bills. Packers going to be without Alan Lazard in this one. Huge injury considering their talent at the wide receiver position. Uh, Also going to be without corner, Shamar John Charles with an ankle. Questionable wide receiver Christian Watson with a hammy. Two offensive linemen and their big names, Elgdon Jenkins with a knee and David Bakhtiari with a knee. Also questionable, linebacker Rashawn Gary with a concussion. The Bills going to be without lineman Spencer Brown with an ankle. And questionable, running back Tywan Jones with a knee injury. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone taking Green Bay in this game. And I do like Green Bay's defense, and I like their running game. And that is the recipe to beat anybody. But... I don't think their defense is good enough to shut down Buffalo's offense, and I'm not certain right now that their offense can go blow for blow. So I know it's, I think they said, what, the first time in Rodgers' starting career that he's a 10 point dog, or the first time in a decade plus or something. I mean, I can see why. Give me Buffalo to win at home. Next, our Monday night football game. Da-da-da-da. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Cleveland for the Battle of Ohio part. Part one, I believe. Did they play yet? Let's go part one. The Bengals take on the Browns at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm taking the Bengals, right? Like, is there any way? The Bengals looked like the Bengals last week against the Falcons. I mean, granted, it's the Falcons, but this Browns team isn't tremendous either. It's going to be the same situation I just discussed, as weird as it sounds. The Browns are going to have to run the football and play some defense. I'm not certain that's going to be enough or they're going to be able to do that enough in terms of getting stops on the defensive side to beat this Bengals team. Now, that being said, if Nick Chubb goes off for a buck 75, that could be enough, and honestly, he could do it. But I don't think so. I'm taking the Bengals. I know they don't have Jamar Chase. I know. I'm taking the Bengals. I'm believing in Joe Burrow to bring this one home on the road. Next, our Thursday night football matchup. I mean, I I hesitate to try and find a theme for this one. But I will say this. For the people that think that sports are scripted, Thursday night football this week is Philly versus Houston. Come on. Come on. The World Series is starting. Oh, who's playing in the World Series? Oh, yeah. Well, if you weren't listening before... Philly and Houston. What are the odds? Oh, I mean I could tell you literally what the odds are in terms of numbers, but they're not tremendously high. I'm taking the Eagles to win this one on the road. I don't I don't see Houston having enough firepower or or anything really to keep up with the Philadelphia Eagles. Barring injury or rare flukiness. I'm taking Philly to win this one. And that will be the end of this week's Pick'em portion. And that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode. Episode number 147 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us, whether it's your first episode or your 147th, which I've taken to saying a lot more and more because, I mean, it's just, for me, it's an impressive number. I didn't think we'd get this far. How far are we going to get? I don't know. I, I don't think we'll ever catch Joe Rogan who's pushing, you know, into the thousands, but... Maybe we'll push 200, 300. We'll see what the future holds. Um, As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Denotic, signing off.